Listener Production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis and welcome to The Wellness Collective, the podcast dedicated to helping women feel happier, healthier and better. I'm a natural women's health expert with over 17 years experience and I'm passionate about helping women feel great in their bodies and minds. On this podcast, I cut through all the noise in the wellness space by interviewing experts from around the globe to discover the very best ideas and theories that will help you improve every aspect of your health. So here's something that I didn't anticipate, and that was how much you guys loved the episode with Ben Mitchell about cryptocurrency. My inbox was literally blown up after that episode aired and you guys had so many questions and you were so excited to learn and many of you jumped straight in and created your exchanges and your wallets and put some money into crypto and just started playing, started playing. And so what actually happened was I had wanted to get today's guest, Anna Pereira, onto the show and talk about money mindset and diversifying assets and all the different types of classes of of money there are, but we couldn't get her scheduled in time. And so Ben was uh, so kindly (laughs) ready to jump on. And so we, we featured Ben first. And here I am circling back today with Anna. And I'm very excited because this episode maybe should have been shared first, but maybe not <laughs> in the sense that it it looks at a lot of different options and opportunities we have when it comes to investing. I think a lot of us are particularly curious as to what's going to happen and why we're looking outside of the box on the traditional way of investing right now is probably the state of the world and what is going to happen. There's a lot of unknowns in terms of the economy. And so I think this is particularly why a lot of people's ears are pricking up when we're talking about, you know, the consequences of literally Uh, having stimulus into the economy and then what happens after that. But also what I really love that Anna talks about is how as women we need to adopt a different relationship with money to men. Money has traditionally had a masculine energy associated with it, whether it was because traditionally men ran the finances. I know in my household, my dad was very much involved in that. And something that as women we maybe haven't really taken full grasp or full responsibility for. So I love that she talks about this and teaches women how to utilise their money to their advantage, to benefit their life, to benefit their health, to vent, to support their children um, and together as a family unit, obviously not just, not just on their own. But uh, I am also really, really excited to listen to what Anna's also got to say about precious metals, which is the, again, another income uh, and investment asset that you can invest in, something that I don't know much about, but something that I was very keen to learn more about. So, if you can understand that this episode is definitely piggybacking on the one with Ben and not somewhere we spend a lot of time at the Wellness Collective talking about, but I do think it's very important to learn how we can actually look at our finances and see it as a means towards being able to live a healthier and better life when we can afford to invest in ourselves as well. So let's get into this episode with Anna. 
Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. We were just saying before we pressed record that I can't prepare questions for this because I've got so many questions that it just needs to be. This basically is just an episode for me. Um, so for my listeners who may not have heard of your work, do you want to explain who you are and what you do? Cool. So yeah, my name is Anna and I am a, I guess, self proclaimed money strategy uh, mentor. I don't like to kind of refer to myself as a coach because I don't have the traditional financial qualifications that most people would have when seeking out someone who offers, I guess, education or advice on money. My, my knowledge comes purely from my own 20 plus years of experience in investing in all the different um, asset classes that exist and from really just taking the ownership to educate myself on absolutely everything that I felt was lacking in high school from, from a financial literacy perspective and a financial education perspective. So, you know, I educated myself on superannuation, on taxes and how to set up business properly and how to scale your business and how to basically generate that, the money that we all want to keep generating and then how to get that money to start working for me. So our lifelong goal for my husband and I was always just to retire early rather than retire rich. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just love this because this whole idea of life lessons and yeah. experience, I think really there's something to say about that. You can, if your head's not in it or you're not that way inclined or you don't have that innate, I don't know what the word is, interest, I guess. You can go and study this, but if it, that's not innately something that you can figure out, then, you know, it's like a practitioner. You can have all the training in the world. You can have the best skills. It doesn't make you a great, great practitioner. So there's learning and there's learning. Yeah. And I think you're, what you're saying is that you've had enough experience with this to really be able to share some light and some wisdom. Now, as you know, we did an podcast with Ben Mitchell about crypto and the audience just loved it. And so whilst we might talk a little bit about crypto today, I feel like what you've been able to show me is that there's much more to investing than just yeah. crypto. So what are the different types of investments that we may have heard of yeah. or that we might be investing in or that you might even just think are worth mentioning? Yeah. So there are four different um, asset classes. That's what they're referred to. So real estate, um, both residential and commercial is one uh, asset class. Then uh, we have the stock market, and that in itself has a whole variation of different ways to invest in the stock market. There are ETFs, uh, which is basically a basket with like the top 100 companies in a specific area. So for example, you might have a, an ETF that has the top 100 uh, companies within the tech industry or the top 100 companies in the mining industry. And so rather than investing in individual stocks and individual companies, you're investing into a pool of those companies. It's a better way to, to mitigate any kind of risks as well in, 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 when investing in it. Uh, then there's, and so that can also be considered digital assets as well. So being that it's a piece of paper, that's why they, they kind of refer to that. So digital assets then is obviously where the crypto space has now developed. So first of all, something I'd really love for more people to understand is that there is Bitcoin and then there is crypto. 
So Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency. It is the only one that was set up to be a peer-to-peer electronic cash. Um, Everything else is really just startup companies, startup businesses that are trying to recreate or redesign a completely new industry, which is decentralized finance. So moving moving into the future where we don't need a middleman. And I think Ben did a really great job of explaining all of that. The fourth one is really commodities market. And within that commodities market, you have, you know, oil, uh, wheat, um, and then you have my favorite, which is precious metals. And I say it's my favorite because when I learned how to be able to look at an asset class and identify, is this currently overvalued or undervalued? The only asset class that I personally think is undervalued and has an enormous potential for people to really change their financial situations right now and be investing into is the gold and silver space, but physical stuff, not ETFs, because within the commodities market, you either have the physical stuff, the the bullion, uh, which is the real hard assets, or you have, again, paper version of that. So it can be really um, tricky for people who don't really understand the difference between owning physical gold or silver versus owning a, you know, a piece of paper, SLV, which is the code for owning silver stocks. It's one and the two are not the same. same. So when I think my mind goes, when you say precious metals, you're not talking about Nana's jewellery that you <laughs> stashed in the <laughs> in the jewellery box. Yeah. You're talking about actually quantities of gold or silver or what else is there? Yeah. So something that I'd love to kind of elaborate further with what add to what Ben kind of was explaining about money. Like I always like to kind of start by explaining to people what is money. And right now, where we are today, we have three different types of money that exist in our world. We have what we know as currency, which is actually known as fiat currency. And fiat currency, that the word itself is Latin word for let it be, right? So the government says it is, so therefore it is. And so our current fiat system is backed by nothing other than our trust in it. However, when you study monetary history, and I have, and I love, I love the history of money, we, we quickly learned that the more we increase the monetary supply, the more we devalue the actual dollar itself. And when you, again, study diff- how that has happened in different economies in different times, like Venezuela, Lebanon, Argentina, where they overprinted the amount of money, and that very quickly turns from inflation to hyperinflation. Real money is precious metals, so gold and silver. For 5,000 years, we have always recognised gold and silver to be real money. It is how we have always exchanged with each other. But in the, I think it was like around the 16 or 17th hundreds, where we went, well, this is too heavy for us to carry around and people would steal it from us. So banks came up with the idea that you could, they didn't actually even call themselves banks, they just call themselves like safety like a safety deposit box type thing. And you would keep it in there with them and they would give you a bank receipt or a receipt for, and so everyone used to carry around these pieces of paper that basically said, 
this note is good to the value of 20 gold coins. And so that's the where the idea of carrying around these pieces of paper developed from because we knew that there, if we took that piece of paper back to the bank, let's say, uh, that we would be able to get our gold coins back. And then the third one, sorry, I always tend to digress. <laughs> so the third one, of course, is future money. So cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin is where we're trying to decentralize away completely from banks and from governments because when the internet was created, uh, very quickly they realized what was missing was how were we going to collect money? How we, we created this wonderful system called the internet where we could go on and we can source information, we could sell items, but we didn't figure that part out. So Bitcoin itself isn't the very first digital currency. There have been actually other electronic cash systems that were established but just didn't get to the stage where Bitcoin uh, did. And the reason Bitcoin is at the stage where it is is because there is no one behind it. It is just simply the people who own it that are behind it. So there is no centralized, and that's where it is known as the only decentralized currency. Everything else is still going to be somewhat controlled by an some kind of entity. Yeah, right. So going back to this idea of then printing money. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean for us at the moment? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but especially in Australia, haven't we just gone and printed a whole lot of yeah. money? And what yeah. does that mean for us moving forward? Because I feel like, and this is sort of part of the reason I started to just look, I'm shocking, as we said before, up until recently, I'm going to say that's the old me. Yeah. And I've definitely become more aware of all of this. But I grew up in a house where we were told that we had just enough. Having money, was it was greedy to have money. Yeah. And that wasn't, that's my interpretation. Whether or not that's what my parents are actually saying, that's how I interpreted it. And so for me, you know, having the uh, talking about money, thinking about money has always been something that I've kind of gone, I don't want to deal with that. You know, I know I can make a lot of it. I'm really good at making money. I'm also really good at spending it. But it made me, the last two years have really made me stop and be more aware and go, hang on a minute. We've just printed a whole lot of money. And what does that actually then mean for us? And how do I now protect myself Mm -hmm. so that moving forward, I can minimize the impact of that for me personally and for my business as well? Yeah, so the more we continue to, and the thing is that we don't, there's no actual money that is printed because we've obviously really already moved into a digital currency in Australia. So another misconception that we all have is that when we deposit money into a bank, that it is safe. (laughs) When we deposit money into the bank and we hand over our money to the bank or our currency to the bank, it's no longer our money. It's the bank's money. And then it's up to the bank whether or not they actually want to give it to us. There are actually laws in Australia and all all different countries that protect the banks more before they actually protect the citizens and and the, the people that deposit their money into the bank. And so, when we apply for things like bank loans and, sorry, it's like home loans, I should say, or credit cards, the banks are not actually lending us money. Like this is where I think, you know, the language of money has, has really been created to almost manipulate us into believing that we go to banks for a loan. They're not actually lending us anything. They're just making it up. They're just literally typing in digits into a bank account, one zero 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 zero, however many zeros you want or asked for. And all they need to know is that you're good for it so that you're able to facilitate and service that loan. 
And if you are and you can prove that you are by having by being a good citizen and, and having a full-time job, they will approve you. However, the interest that you're paying back to the bank is where the banks make their money or how they make a, may they make a profit. So when you really sort of step back and go macro on the whole scenario of how banks are created, like they're really the only industry that are profiting from creating something out of absolutely nothing. Whereas everyone else has to create a product in order to sell it, has to offer a service in order to sell it. Banks don't have to do that. Um, and so that's because of a, a policy called fractional reserve lending. So for every, uh, let's say you deposit $100 into your bank account, the banks are allowed to lend up to $90 of that. So they, someone comes in, deposits their money, someone walks out with a loan with your money, basically. And so this is like a constant roller coaster because then obviously they'll take that money that they've uh, borrowed or got loaned for and they'll deposit that into the next bank and then that bank will do the same thing. So we have, the more we continue to inflate the, the creation of money, the more we have goods and services chasing those dollars. And so it's about the velocity velocity of money. And what the velocity of money is, is the amount of times that that dollar gets passed around. So here's a little example. If you, you know, go and purchase a coffee, well, you, you've, you've spent like $5 on that coffee, you pay them in a tip. Okay. And then they'll take that and get a cab. They'll pay the, the cab man with the tip money that you, that you've given to them. And so that's already a velocity of two that one note has had. And then the, the taxi driver will take that and uh, put petrol in his car. And so that's a velocity of three. And so the more money is in circulation, the faster this velocity happens. And so by us doing that as well, combining that with the psychology of how we feel when we feel that, that the economy is in a place of uh, turmoil, which I guess at the moment we are in, uh, that we kind of slow down. Our psychology goes into like, oh, we better, you know, hide the money under the under the couch, under the um, under the mattress. And instead, when we then feel like, okay, everything's kind of getting back to normal, that's when all that money comes out. And that's when the psychology combined with the amount of uh, money in circulation is what will increase the, um, the, the prices of, of everything. That also plus combined with what's called as the futures contracts. So a futures contract is basically a contract where I'll give you the example of Arnott's biscuits. So Arnott's would be a company that would have a lot of wheat in a lot of different products. So instead of buying one particular amount of, of wheat with one grower, they would have a futures contract to say, we'll buy wheat from you in bushels uh, for the next six months at this amount of price. Well, after the six months, those contracts get renewed. And right now, a lot of those contracts, whether it's with oil, whether it's with wheat, with sugar, all of those contracts are being renewed and the prices have been completely pumped up because the price of oil has been pumped up, which then affects the wheat grower as well, or the price of water has gone up. And so ultimately, Arnott's isn't the one that's going to say, oh, oh well, we'll just have to keep our prices down and take that cut on, you know. Uh, in, instead, what they do is obviously increase the, the prices of, of, the, uh, of the biscuits, they increase the price of, of the bread, of all of the, the products that contain that same um, thing. So it's a tricky thing because I think a lot of people think that inflation is something that is caused you know, buy more people, just buy more things. But there's a lot of different elements that, that come into play. But 
ultimately it's by what do the governments using the tools that they think they have, which is let's just, you know, add more digits into people's bank accounts by creating a stimulus package. But they're not actually stimulating anything because they're giving you free money but there is no such thing as free money. You, you ultimately have to create a goods or a service in order to, to have that money created. What they've done instead is just created more debt for future generations. So my question then becomes, now we, we know this information, how do we then start to plan in a healthy way for what's to come? Like, can we start to do things now? I read a quote that you had shared and it totally hit me. And it was, most people fail to realize that in life, it's not how much money you make, it's how much money you keep. And I was like, oh, but then I also hear you talk about, we have to actually plan that. We have to actually... I've never planned. (laughs) I have goals. I have ideas. But to actually plan it, like, does that mean I say, right, actually, I plan on having this, this and this by this time. And then my energy is focused towards that and I'm able to bring that. Is that how I do it? Like, how do I do it? So the reason I I call it, so I created the the money action plan and really I I developed that because I felt like I kept failing at budgeting because I was like, when I was reading and and trying to And because budgeting to me creates scarcity. It's like what I don't have or it's like that I can't spend. And so I've always hated budgeting and I don't do it because to me it sets up the opposite to what I'm trying to create. Exactly. And I feel the exact same way. So for me, budgeting was like being told to go on a diet. You know, it felt like I was a naughty girl. I can't have no self-control and it's the same. I have no self-control over my money. So I need to be on a budget and it always feels like it's a temporary plan. Um, It feels like something I'll do for the next three months and then forget all about it. So that's where I was like, okay, I need to think about this in a different way. And so I want to be able to have better control. Like what's the ultimate outcome I want? I want to understand where my money is going. I want to be able to know that it's not just coming in and then sitting in the account or that I'm waiting and saving it for a rainy day, that I want to put this money to work. It all, it all kind of developed for me from the idea of, I want to make my money work for me. I'm sick and tired of working for money. I want to make my money work for me. And so that I think is the mindset shift of going from, you know, being an employee to wanting to be a sole trader. But then even as a sole trader, I developed so many businesses of my own. And then when I was, when I was a sole trader, I then realized, hang on, now I'm working for my business. I want my business to work for me. So again, I'm like, I still want to figure out how do I get this money to work for me? I want to be putting it to use. Um, So in going back to your question about budgeting and how to plan, um, the money action plan for me is a three-step part. So it's about, first of all, when people sort of say to me, I love all the information you've given me, but I'm completely overwhelmed because I don't know where to start. And I say, well, first of all, you can't know where you want to go without knowing where you are. And so the first thing people I think really need to do is have a real honest, hard look at their accounts and really get familiar with where you are, where your money is flowing, right? Don't think of it as where am I spending my money? Think of it as where am I investing my money into? And then that'll just give you a real clear feeling of, okay, like I'm spending a lot on entertainment or I'm spending a lot on subscriptions or I'm spending a lot on clothes. And it's about then reflecting back on how does that make you feel? 
seeing how much money is flowing into that particular area and then kind of going, okay, I want to make this money work for me. So I still want to enjoy being able to go out and have entertainment, but perhaps I'm now more mindful. I'm more you know, conscious of the fact that it doesn't feel so good to know that I've allowed so much of my energy and time to go into that particular area of my life. And so how can I now push that somewhere else? And so having, again, really set clear goals and having goals for, we have goals for our business and for life, but do we really have clear defined financial goals? You know, we, we can sort of say we want our businesses to make this much amount or we want to generate this much income. You know, that can kind of take us really into because, again, a lot of the times we think that we're generating 100K, but really when you look at how much tax you've paid, you haven't actually made 100K because half of it's gone to tax. <laughs> so um, it's, again, about kind of going, okay, how can I make this money work better for me? And having that really clear understanding of how to not avoid tax, but how to be able to mitigate your tax so that, again, even the tax can work for you. So, like, for the past sort of five years, I always get a tax return. And that's just simply not because I'm doing anything dodgy, but just because I understand how taxes work. And the moment I reach a certain scale or, or level within my businesses, I go back to my accountant. And, and so many times my accountant doesn't understand what I'm trying to do and he'll say, uh, you know, so why do you want that for? And I'm like, well, because I, I want to be able to, to go to the, the next level. So a lot of times I find that I get to a level with my accountants. I'm like, you don't understand what I'm trying to achieve. That means I need a new accountant. I need someone who, because I know this exists. I know that these sort of business structures exist. So we need to find an accountant who specializes. And you, you will get to that kind of level, I think, in any business as you scale, I think that's also healthy growth. Like everything else, we go to the next level. Absolutely. There's certain, I've never thought about this. I've got an accountant. They understand the business as it is. You're saying they don't in your circumstances, but I can't be bothered going and doing all that all over again. And I'm just going to suck it up because they know the history of the business. But I guess if my doctor wasn't able to understand what I was wanting, I'd go and find a new doctor. Or if my personal trainer wasn't listening to me and we weren't executing or getting to our goals, then I would find a new personal trainer. So I kind of don't know why we wouldn't do this. Although in some situations, I guess we are loyal to who we're loyal to, but it's refreshing to hear that I think we don't have to continue to stay in the same scenario. And that would be bad business if we did. Yeah, Yeah, I I assess everything else and reassess and shuffle things around. So I don't know why I wouldn't with my accountant. Yeah. Well, and I think it's about also just being, for me, I look at it as I'm radically responsible for my financial situation. You know, like I'm radically responsible. So if I'm going to be... That's such a bomb. Like I'm radically responsible for my financial situation because... We are very good at blaming it on everybody else why we're in the situation that we're in, right? But we are ultimately responsible for where we're at right now in any scenario, which can feel really confronting and overwhelming, I'm sure. And and let me me help you understand why that is because I I asked those questions myself as well. I was like, why is it that there is such like a disdain or such yucky emotions that pop up when, when we kind of go, oh, I have to be responsible for my money. Ooh. And that really, I believe for women, I, it, I boiled it down to this one thing, the financial language. Financial language and the energy of money in the way we have it in today in society was established with masculine energy. 
And for a lot of women who, who've never really, who've grown up, I guess, with the same, um, you know, ideas and with the same thoughts that my parents tried to, or mostly my father tried to put into me, which is just marry a rich man. Don't worry about the rest, you know? Yeah. It was just like, yeah, that's not going to work out for me. It, it really needs to be a partnership. And I, and I guess it's also, you know, life experience is always one of those things that is always going to define what way we, we move throughout in life. And when I was 17, my mum, my father was a very uh, violent man, a lot of different types of abuse. And so when I was 17, mum said enough is enough and we left. So we were basically homeless for about two, three months. We were staying with friends and then we finally did get our own little place uh, and we had absolutely nothing because we left. So he wouldn't let then outlet allow us to access our stuff. And I remember being 17 and laying on this floor because all we had is like those like little mattress on the floor and just going, I never, ever want to put myself or my future children in this kind of situation again. And it was just from that moment, you know, it wasn't like it was like a huge, huge thing, but to me it felt really big that I'm like 17, realizing that I've gone from having the house and all of the things to feeling like I actually don't need any of that because I would rather feel safe in where I am and have absolutely nothing. But then at the same time, I was like, I will never again be in this situation. I will educate myself and, and do what I have to do to be able to, to grow and to be radically responsible for Take responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Which It's big and it's huge. I can't even imagine what that would have felt like at the time. But I think, you know, often it, it is when we hit what we feels like rock bottom that we have to do something different to create a different scenario. So let's swing back to precious metals because yeah. I need to learn. <laughs> How? Where do I go? Do I go to the bank and say, can I buy gold? Like, where do I even start with that? Yeah. So it was an area that I did a lot of research into as well. And so in Australia, we have um, sort of, there are two options. You either have, uh, you know, the sovereign mint. So we have obviously the Perth mint, or we have private refinery precious metals dealers. And so the best one that I found in Australia is they're called abcbullion.com. They have offices in all states of Australia and you just simply go online and create an account and then you purchase precious metals. You you can either, silver for me, I think is the the best one that people would do really well in in purchasing right now because silver is still very, very affordable. It's still, it's $36 an ounce. Um, So when I talk about it being undervalued, I talk about what I mean by that is that the way it is priced or the way that people can understand whether or not it's a good price or not a good price is by what's known as the gold to silver ratio. So uh, what that means is traditionally the ratio for thousands of years has always been a 15 to 1 ratio. So 15 ounces of silver for one ounce of gold. However, where we're at right now uh, is an enormous imbalance. So it's more, it's sitting at the moment at a 60 or 70 to one ratio. What that means is that at some point, whether it's in two, three, five, 10 years, I'm sure it'll be less than that because the amount of inflation that is going, I can see this, this correction in the market happening very soon. Um, I believe that at some point that that uh, will need to compress. And what that means is that the price of silver will shoot up a lot faster than the price of gold. Because traditionally, in times of uncertainty, 
which we're in right now, people will always go back to what has worked for thousands of years. And what has always worked for thousands of years is precious metals. It is what worked for us before 1971. And it's worked for us all the way back to ancient Egypt. You know, and if you think about all the ancient uh, civilizations, they always saw the value of gold. We have always felt like it's an actual, I believe that there is an actual energetic pull towards it. Like when you actually hold it and you feel this enormous like abundance and wealth with it when you hold it. And and silver has that enormous potential because it should it should be a 15 to 1, whereas it's down here. So that means that if you're buying it at $36 an ounce, it could very quickly overnight go to $300 an ounce. And so buying it at 36 all of a sudden it's it's you more than quadrupled your money. So question then is when you buy it, do you have it or does it sit yes. somewhere? It literally no. arrives and you need to store it under the bed? Like You would get a safe, um, you know, you get a couple of safes or there is also the option of um, a, a, a private custodian vaults Custodian vaults are against, uh, they have them in all different offices in all different um, states. And they're just like, you know, very kind of Ocean's Eleven, whether you have like the big long, um, yeah, like little box, yeah, like a little black box, and you can just store it in there. And so, you know, keeping it in multiple different places. Again, it's when I talk about, you know, being radically responsible. So it's about doing the research in, in understanding how to protect, like, you know, we protect our homes from outside strangers. So protect your home as well from, anyone that wants to potentially come in and it ultimately it's, it would be an asset that you wouldn't necessarily, you know, go out and brag to your friends about owning. Um, or you would, yeah, you would have, you know, private vaults. They're, they're kind of my favorite option as well. And then just like cryptocurrency, is it the sort of thing that you purchase with the plan to keep, you know, the idea being, but then how can I leverage off that? Like obviously with crypto or stocks or I can shave the top off that, I can, you know, put that into Bitcoin or I can just um, put it into a wallet and keep that. What am I doing to allow that to continue to grow? Is it that I'm just buying more of it? Obviously, actually, no, you just said that ratio can change. So is there a point where I would actually, when the ratio changes, I might do something with that? 100%. So at the moment, the way I see precious metals is as a wealth preservation, as a way of um, storing, because ultimately we're so conditioned to feel security by seeing large digits on our bank statements or by seeing large digits on our account screens uh, when we log in online. And so I think it's secure. We need to redefine that. We need to find security in being diverse enough. So having some physical cash at home, in case the ATMs don't work, in case, you know, anyone that um, has friends from Greece or Cyprus, they will know exactly what happened in in those countries. Um, I think it was 2016. And mm. I've, I've been to, to Greece myself and I remember seeing people still explain to me that they could still only withdraw an, a limit, a particular limit every month from their bank accounts. So if a cyber attack in Australia ever was to happen, how would you access how would you access your ATMs? How would your tap tap work? It wouldn't. So I think it's really important for people to be thinking more diversification. And that term normally is one that is used when specifically talking about the stock market, but I like to see it as being diversified in all the different asset classes. So 
having some precious metals as a store of wealth and having a strategy and a plan for what you intend to do with it. So where you would put it in, what next asset class you would invest into, having some you know, digital assets like cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum. You can still buy certain stocks that I think even if in a correction, in a market correction, would still have um, potential to, to go up. So for me, that would be uh, something you know, like gold stocks, certain ETFs, not all of them. But ultimately, when I talk about stocks, and I know a lot of people, particularly perhaps women, I don't want to be generalizing here, but it is such an area that is so like, ooh. And I know for ages, I felt like that too, because of, again, all the language, all the the, the lingo that, it, that comes with understanding all of that. But if people say to me, oh, I don't invest in the stock market, well, then I'll ask them, where's your super being invested? And if they said to me, well, it's colonial, booper or whatever, I'm like, well, no, no, where is your super being invested? Because when you don't know the answer to that, it definitely will mean that your company that you have invested with, whether it be colonial, hairstyle, that they have set it to a default setting. And what that's going to mean is that it's going to be heavily in a high risk category. So if there anyone that does listen to this, if there is anything that you want to take away from, from listening to this, this podcast episode, it's to go find out where is your super being invested? Because we are so conditioned in Australia to put all our money into super, you know, and, and to, to bank on that sort of, you know, to have this idea of, oh, it's fine. It's your little nest egg, but you're not in control of your nest egg. You're not in control of your super. Some other company is in control of it. And if, of course, they ultimately want to give you high return so that they can take a higher commission. But ultimately, if you lose money in your super, you're the one that loses. They don't. Mm. So it's really important to understand where is your super being invested. And more than often, it'll be international shares. And right now, that is probably my biggest red flag is the stock market because it is overvalued by that 236%. Wow. Yeah. So there's definitely in the past, and as we, I know we're running out of time, but I just want to ask this question that especially as a health practitioner, everything that we did was about the health of our patients, the health of our clients or our, you know, anyone that, that we were or audience, depending. It definitely wasn't tied back to money. In fact, I can say, especially in the 90s, the 80s and the 90s, looking at naturopaths work, particularly notorious for giving, 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 fixing, fixing, fixing without anything in return. And being remunerated for that financially was seen as kind of almost like a no-no, whilst it was fine to go to your many other health providers and pay exuberant amounts of money to not necessarily get solutions, but because that's just what we did. And I know that this is changing and has changed a lot, I think more so because people realise the value of how important how health is. We can't necessarily put a price on that. But I want to ask you the question, how does having financial stability and security, how can we reframe that? And why is it so important for our health to have that? The way I felt better about my money, especially about all those conscious beliefs that were embedded into us from zero to seven about, you know, if you have too much money, you're greedy. Gosh, you know, my parents were just, ours was, we've had, we have just enough. Ah, So my safe is just enough, which is so ridiculous because it feels so unsafe to have just enough, but that's the subconscious pattern. It was constantly, we have enough, we have just enough. And I understand what that my parents were trying to teach me, 
But it, it's literally been a lifetime of trying to undo the just enough. Yeah. So what you're, I feel like almost what your parents were trying to say is, you know, don't ask for too much. So it's kind of like, let's put a ceiling, let's put a cap on, on what we can, what's possible for us because going over the bridge or going over that ceiling is unknown to us, you know, and it's like a Will that change world. us? Will that change exactly. you as a person? Will you yes. be nice? Will you not be nice? That's right, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's where I feel like when it comes to money, the best way I looked at it was, I see money as a relationship. You know, I have a relationship with my money and I gave it an identity. You know, I gave her a name. I, I speak to her when I purchase things and I thank her every day for showing up for me because she allows me to, to purchase and to support businesses. She allows me to be the type of person I want to show up more as, you know, which is a more conscious and evolved human. Ultimately, you know, I, I thank her. And so I think having that relationship with her also meant that I needed to come to terms with, um, with how I was treating her in the past. And it was almost like, okay, this was a friend I wanted to apologize to for the way I mis mistreated her in the past, how I maybe ignored her or how I maybe didn't really think consciously about how I was using her energy. And so, you know, for me, I love writing letters. And the, the idea actually uh, grew from um, Peter Kelly's book, Earth is Hiring, who, you know, she explained that she wrote letters to, to money. And I was like, it was brilliant writing letters to, to money. And I still do today. Like now, obviously it's really great to, to kind of do it in that fashion. I think, because I'm able to kind of look back on the letters that I was writing to money, you know, five years ago to the way I'm writing letters to her now. And it's like this incredible relationship that we've had. And it's kind of like her, the, the, the goals, the financial goals that I have are, are very much, she's like in support of it. It's kind of like, we're doing this together. I don't feel like I'm alone. I feel like she's my buddy <laughs> and she wants me to achieve these things because she, she wants to allow me to create a better world for us all. And by using her power. So I don't know if that feels too woo-woo for some people, but it helped for me to, to no longer have this kind of resistance or this um, I don't understand money or I'll just let my husband deal with it. Like one really always kills me because I just think even if you don't understand money, you don't have to understand everything. But I feel that it is so important for us to understand at least how to protect ourselves because we may be, you know, in a great relationship today, that relationship might change tomorrow or that person may no longer be around. And I think it's so important for, for women and for our daughters, especially, or our nieces and our cousins to, to see us at least have an understanding of what we're doing. We're these badass CEO women, you know, girl boss, but let's be girl bosses who also understand how to use their money and create these incredible businesses and then make these businesses work for them as well. Mm. So that you know, we're not just creating, uh, you know, fantastic businesses. We're also allowing that business to flourish and show other girls. And how awesome would it be for your daughter to learn and to say to her friends, oh, my mom's the one that taught me about crypto. You know, like I know that you said, you know, you've been having some fun with, with it. And so teach our kids so fun. Just, as just as important for them to know about, yeah. about yeah. money as it is for us. 100% agree. And it's it's one of those things, again, that comes back to, you need some, you need to start to play. You need to yeah. start to get gain that experience, not something that you necessarily learn at school or in a classroom situation, but something that you go out into the world and start to to get a feel for. No different to actually graduating as a practitioner and the real learning starts when you 
start to to practice and treat patients. It's the same thing, but dipping your toe in. So I would imagine just like any investment that you just start to play, right? You just start to dip your toe in the water. I had my neighbor call me yesterday and he said to me, hey, is it a good time to buy? Like, what am I getting in crypto? And I was like, dude, just start to play with it. Like he was like, if I had say $10,000, where do I put it? I said, you don't. You start with like maybe, maybe. yeah, $1,000. That's exactly what I said. I said $1,000 and put the same amount in each week, whatever that is for you, but just start to play with it. Like you don't even need to put a thousand in each week. I said to him, put a thousand in initially and maybe then just a hundred to each coin that you are investing in and watch what happens first to be able to learn and grow. And I imagine that you'd be talking about the same thing with these other investments that we can make is you don't go invest everything you have. You start to get a feel for it first because the way that it might work for you could be different to the way that it works for somebody else. So it's just about experience and about learning and growing with that and and having that. And I think that there's an element of um, security that comes with that because I understand how that works now, you know, not just because someone told me, but I've had the experience in learning how how that works. I could keep on talking to you all day. (laughs) Um, And I am also conscious that we are almost out of time. But I know that people are going to want to find your work and the resources that you've created. So where can people do that? Yeah, so my website obviously is probably, you know, the, the hub, uh, the place to come come and, and uh, collect all those wonderful goodies that I've created. So I have the, the Money Action Plan, which is really, I think, for everyone is where they should all start, no matter what their financial situation is. The first thing you need to do is understand where your money is flowing and then you need to understand where you want your money to be going to instead or where you would like to for that to flow into instead. I also have and I think I think Ben may have a similar resource which is my learn the lingo. So I, I have offered in the past uh, crypto workshops as well and I'm working on putting together one for precious metals because I've had so many people ask. Uh, but I have a learn the lingo. So for anyone who again is just starting out in crypto, I think when it comes to cryptocurrency, the it, like you said, it's just about learning it at all and not going all in to just one asset class, you know, have a look around because I feel like there is so much attention going into crypto at the moment. And it feels very much like they're allowing that to happen on purpose. Um, And it it worries me, especially around Bitcoin, because there is something called a Bitcoin whale. And a Bitcoin whale is someone who is holding an enormous amount of of Bitcoin. And if they were to sell, let's say, sometimes 10 or 15% of their Bitcoin, that could have an enormous impact on the actual price itself, which then, you know, for, for, for brand new traders, for brand new investors into the market who've never invested into Bitcoin ever, they will see their $1,000 drop down to $400 and they'll be like, oh my God, I'm out. This is too much. I've lost my money. So if there's ever something that I'd love for people to, to understand is that you never lose, you only lose when you sell, you know? So if you don't sell your crypto, just hold on. That's why there's that phrase hodl, you know, hold on for dear life, hold on to it and understand what it is, why you are investing into crypto and why you are investing into precious metals. Always have a, a, a exit strategy as well for what you want it to do. Understand the tax ramifications because I know with crypto, that's something that I don't think enough people understand is that it is a, a section that the tax officer literally making up the rules as they go. And so they will heavily tax people who take profits in, in crypto. 
And again, like you said, only ever invest what you're willing to lose. That's always my number one um, advice. And I, I do education. I don't do advice. But if there's one tip that I ever give to any of my clients is that you only ever invest what you're willing to lose. Dedicate you know, an hour each week to further developing your knowledge on that one particular uh, asset class and keep asking questions, you know, and if you come across someone or like, I guess, tax, tax accountants, and if your tax account doesn't know anything about crypto, go and find a tax accountant that does. There are thousands and thousands of videos on uh, taxation around cryptocurrency on um, YouTube that you can look up. There is so much information that you can you know, find on online. So it's just incredible. We're such in such abundance of knowledge mm. everywhere. Um, so fortunate yeah. to be able to have that and learn from other people and just listen and, but ultimately start to just get our own hands, not dirty. Yeah. That's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. Just get, yeah. get, get, you know, take that radical responsibility for your financial situation. Mm. I also have a free money meditation because again, when you do start to take on that radical responsibility for your financial situation, a lot of emotional stuff comes up a lot of, you know, layers that have been, you know, hidden underneath that we've kind of put a bit of a, a cap on, they start to bubble up. And so working on that mindset around money and what is possible is something that's also very important. So I created a, a money meditation, which really just grew out of a practice that I do every morning, which is just to, to rewrite the different ways of thinking about money. So when we, you know, think about, you know, oh, I can't afford this. It's instead flip, flip the switch to how can I afford this? What do I no longer need or use in my house that I could sell to be able to afford this? What other income stream could I create? How else could I generate more income rather than just ask for a raise? Like asking for a raise is just going to mean you're going to pay more tax. Think outside the box. You know, what, what do people need right now? There's thousands and thousands of Amazing. ideas. <laughs> I love this. Well, thank you so much. Did you mention where people can actually access yeah, your... Just my, yeah, just on my uh, website, annapereira.com okay. um, or awesome. anna-pereira.com or through Instagram as well. On Instagram, I'm money underscore mindset uh, matters. I'm sure you'll be able to get the links in there or somewhere in your show notes. Definitely. So, um, yeah. 100%. Well, thank you so much for taking the time thank to chat. You. This has been very empowering and uh, I'm off to search silver. anyone else Googling how to buy silver? (laughs) I will be doing that when I stop recording this. I am wildly fascinated in all of these things that Anna had to share with us, but I am really interested right now as to how I can make sure that I am diversifying my assets and my income streams. And I guess that's probably why I'm so excited to share these episodes with you, which aren't necessarily in the usual vein of the Wellness Collective, but still just like I asked Anna the question, how can making our money work for us, bring us more health, bring us more or less stress. And also the other thing too is that when we have access to more, we can help more people, we can support more people and uh, we can definitely, if we learn how to nurture that in the right way, we can invite less stress into our lives, which I think is really 
such a powerful and important thing. And I also loved how she talked about reframing, like I can't afford that to how can I afford this? If that's the one thing that you take away from this episode, I think that that's a really powerful thing that you can bring on board to just change your mindset. And and I know I need to definitely be able to flick the switch quicker when it comes to the way that I'm talking about money too. So I hope that this episode, you've definitely taken some things away from that other than just Googling how to purchase precious metals. (laughs) And it's given you even more insight into the, you know, what money is, why it's so important that we diversify um, and really deepening your understanding of finance and how you can make that work better for you. So as always, I would absolutely invite you to rate and review the podcast that I literally do a little shimmy every time I see a new rating or review. It makes me so happy and I guess it's just reinforcement that you are enjoying the content that we are bringing. So if you haven't done that already, I would absolutely do a shimmy for you and give you a shout out on one of our episodes. That would be so awesome. As always, until next time, I do hope that this episode has left you feeling happier, healthier and better. Listener.